Hello, I'm Lucy Gray. Welcome to the programme. Sudan's army has deployed tanks and heavy artillery for a large-scale offensive in the capital, Khartoum. There are reports of heavy fighting in the city. The army says that it's attacking from all directions despite a ceasefire being in place. It's part of an effort to recapture areas held by the rival rapid support forces. The army has urged people to remain indoors and to stay away from windows. South Sudan says it's still trying to convene peace talks between representatives of the two sides. The UK's last evacuation flight has left Sudan. The Foreign Office says nearly 1,900 people have been flown out since Tuesday. Meanwhile, the United States has completed its first evacuation of citizens from the country. To Jeddah via Port Sudan on the Red Sea, our correspondent Andrew Harding filed this report from Jeddah. We're at the dockside here in Port Sudan and uh, you can see here 52, we believe, 52 evacuees from Yemen, from Oman, from Pakistan. They're heading out shortly to a Saudi Arabian warship which is more just off the coast. We've been talking to many of these people. They look exhausted. They look uncertain about what's to come. They are, of course, enormously relieved now to be safe. Uh, it's been a difficult journey for many of them and a long wait here in Port Sudan where so many thousands of people have been drawn because of the promise of a, a trip to safety across the Red Sea. But a lot of these people are saying we've left our jobs, we've left our property behind and we have no idea if we will ever be able to come back and reclaim that life. Andrew Harding reporting. Well, we can speak live now to Khalid Kerr, who is founder and director of the cartoon-based think tank Confluence Advisory. Hello to you, and thanks very much for joining us. And, and I understand that you yourself have just made it out of Sudan, haven't you? Are you able to tell us a bit about that? Um, well, I, I actually boarded uh, one of these Saudi uh, ships heading for Jeddah, which would have been a 20-hour uh, trip, but then I got a phone call from the British evacuation uh, based in Port Sudan that a, an, a flight had finally been confirmed for that afternoon. So I got off the ship, much to the uh, amusement of many people there, and uh, made it to the, the meeting point. Um, if we'd had some more certainty, I think, about when a flight would have been uh, to the UK, it would have made it for a much uh, less arduous journey. Yes, but what was it like uh, just before you left? Uh, were you in Khartoum itself? I was, yes. Um, and, you know, Khartoum has seen drastic uh, deterioration in just these past two weeks of fighting. Uh, the, the humanitarian situation there is, I think, unfathomable from the outside, but it is very, very dire. And a lot of more attention needs to be put on that. Just tell me more then about the situation. Is it food shortages, water? What is the exact situation? It's all of it, but primarily it's the fact that the city is still under siege. You know, we've had five or so ceasefires in two weeks and none of them have held. Neither general wants to cede any ground um, in order to secure what they think will be a military victory. In the meantime, people are without food, without water, without electricity. Most 60% of hospitals are out of commission and um, there are fuel shortages, so even those who want to leave can't. But for those who stay, there are absolutely no services um, and seemingly no help on the way other than the mutual aid that is being done through communities. 
Yeah, and just to explain then, in terms of, um, we were hearing from our correspondent earlier saying that the RSF are, are, are sort of better when it comes to the, the urban street fighting in terms of their preparedness and their abilities. Um, but it's such a mixed picture throughout the country, isn't it, in terms of everybody's situation and, and the fighting being so spread out? Yes, sure, but in Khartoum, that's where the most vital ground is, um, which are the sites, are the most strategic sites. Uh, Port Sudan, of course, being another, so we do expect that there will be an encroachment of the fighting towards Port Sudan. But for the meantime, most of it seems to be concentrated in the capital Khartoum, as well as in Darfur and other sites around the country. Um, both, you know, in order to win a war, one needs blood and treasure, and the RSF is uh, outmatching the Sudan armed forces in, on both those fronts, um, which is why, um, but in, in general, we're also heading towards, or we have been, in a stalemate for several days now. So this will lead both sides to rely more and more on their international and regional backers. Where does the RSF get its money from? Several sources. Uh, it has been um, engaged in a very lucrative um, illicit gold trade, gold smuggling trade. Uh, it has had a lot of support from the Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates in um, supporting its war in Yemen and providing effectively mercenaries for that war. Um, it also has several strategic business interests in the region and across the Sahel. And all of that means that it has an innumerable funds um, stashed sort of all over the region, um, particularly in Dubai, I believe. Um, and so it has access to those. And with, without that access, uh, frankly, this war could be shortened. But we don't see the countries that have leverage over them um, willing to enact any leverage. And what about the feeling of the people in Sudan? Is there any particular support for either side? I mean, this really is a, you know, a power struggle between two people, really, isn't it? But does one side enjoy more public support than the other? I think, you know, the Sudanese public have been unequivocal that they do not seek a military solution to these problems, to Sudan's perennial problems. They have rejected militarism as a political project. And therefore, neither general can really, um, really tap into um, a groundswell of support. However, the RSF, particularly in Khartoum, are seen as a um, more of a criminal enterprise rather than a military enterprise. And therefore, if push came to shove, we're likely to see more support for the Sudan armed forces as the national official military um, than the RSF. That is complicated, however, with the fact that um, the Sudan armed forces has been infiltrated for decades now by Islamists who have been very, very unpopular, of course, and have enacted serious human rights abuses um, and repression against the people of Sudan. Well, where do you see this going then in terms of any possible peace talks? I mean, we've heard that South Sudan is trying to start that process, but we also were hearing here on the BBC yesterday from uh, the leader of the RSF saying that, uh, you know, he's not ready to negotiate until the violence is completely finished. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that's probably quite refreshingly accurate. I don't think either of these generals is serious about a negotiation until they have exhausted um, uh, the, their military plans. You know, we've seen that Saudi Arabia and Israel also offer uh, to negotiate, uh, to lead negotiations and to mediate between the two. But neither one will, I think, commit seriously to those negotiations. They will probably, um, because they are so well versed in gestural politics, commit to some sort of um, initial preliminary talks. Um, but at the same time, we won't see the violence abate and this will be a war that is then fought on the ground um, online and on the television networks and then also at the negotiation table it will just increase the number of fronts effectively for this conflict
Yeah, well, it's been really good talking to you. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Uh, Colude Care there from the Think Tank Confluence Advisory.